today we conclude our current series. It's called Trajectory. We've been studying our core values the last several weeks, and so today we, we finished that up. And, and so if you're new here, the idea of core values is that they serve as guardrails that keep our church going down the path that God has called us to follow. So we're staying on the trajectory that is God's path. And so thus far in the series, we have considered how we value the Bible and we value people. We value being intentional. We value being simple. We value commitment. And last week, I preached on how we value multiplication. And so these are our core values. And so today, as you wrap up, looking at the last two, which really keep it the first two, they're all equally valued, but this is close to my heart and I know to yours as well. Today, we'll see how we value Jesus and we value the gospel. And so to me, this is the foundation of who we are as a church and who we are as individuals who belong to Jesus. So today we're going to consider why we value Jesus and why we value the gospel. And then we're going to see towards the end on what difference it actually makes. Because there are many people right here in Bell County that if you ask them, they would say, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. Or they might even say, yes, I value Jesus. But the question is, does Jesus and his gospel actually change anything about how you think or how you speak or what you do, how you spend your time or your money, or does it really impact the trajectory of your life? And so let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to see how Jesus frees us from our slavery to sin and how Jesus heals the broken areas in our soul and and heals our hearts. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So we see that we value Jesus more than angels. He has greater worth than even the other heavenly beings. And this text here is profound. Like these are some deep waters that we're going to wade through this morning here together. The book of Hebrews from beginning to end describes who Jesus is. So if you're wondering what Hebrews is about, it tells you who Jesus is, and it tells you what the gospel is, and is completely all rooted in what God has been revealing in 
the Old Testament. So verse 1 of the book says, God's redemptive plan did not begin with the baby lying in the manger. That is not where God began his plan. God's plan did not begin with Jesus coming into the world. It began, it says, long ago. So God's saving work in Jesus began at the very beginning of time itself. With the beginning of creation is where God began his plan to display his glory, having a people that would treasure him and worship him. His plan began, it says, long ago. So God has been revealing himself, his plan to create this people and to redeem them. He's been revealing this in the very beginning since Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden. Again, verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God has been speaking and revealing himself and his character and his plan. And he does it in many different ways. It says here in the text, different ways. And so he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Abraham verbally. He met with with Moses on the mountain. He revealed himself through the prophets who spoke for God. He revealed himself in lots of ways. He inspired men to write this scripture. He even spoke through a donkey. So if he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me, I assure you. He has spoken many times in many different ways throughout the Old Testament, but he has been revealing who he is. And then it says here in verse 1 that he has spoken through his son. So he is a God who speaks and still speaks today. Let's read verse 2 again. Let's just read that. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So why do we value Jesus? Let me give you one reason from Hebrews 1. We value Jesus because he is the fullest most complete revelation of God. That's what you see in Hebrews 1 and verse 2, is that he is the most complete. He is the fullest revelation of God. He has spoken to us by his son. So the Old Testament, think of it this way, promises made. God was making all the promises to one day send the Messiah, to one day send the sheep who would be killed and would not speak a word and he would be striped and killed for us. He promised that he would send the Son of Man who would come from heaven, defeat the enemy and establish his kingdom. He promised to send a Son of David who would rule over his people for all of eternity. He promised to finally give us rest and peace in the land. He made all of these promises, all the promises of 
hope and a future freedom. He promised that one day he would send his spirit who would indwell his people. And he promised that one day that you would not have to say to someone, know the Lord, because everyone in God's people would already know God. We would have his spirit. So all these promises, all of them were pointing to Jesus, fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus. So the Old Testament is promises made. The New Testament is promises kept in Jesus. Every single one. So this theme of promise and fulfillment goes to Promising the Messiah would come. He would teach us. He would lead us. He would save us. He would make us new fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And this beautiful story of human history includes you and me. And so Jesus is the fulfillment. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Have you ever had a, let's call it a discussion. I don't like the word argument. Have you ever had a discussion with the person who is kind of argumentative. Ever had that? Where the other person always has to be right. Where no matter what you're debating, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. It can be the the silliest or most simple conversation. And yet they always have to have the last word. They have to always be the one to say. and, And it's like they're like, this mental sparring with you is like you're in the octagon with someone verbally and you're both maybe trying to get the last word in. Ever been there? No, of course not. It's just me and my kids, right? Um, I think that's what it's like in our world. I think when we think about our world and we look at all of these competing voices and they all want the last Word. They want the final authoritative word. Well, the word on what? On the word on what is our purpose? Why are we here? What is truth? And what is morality? And how we should think? All, all of these, these realities. How to find happiness. Like there's different voices that are competing and want the last Word, and you're like, well, what are the voices, Pastor Matthew? Oh, my goodness. Social media? Retailers? So Amazon? Hollywood? Higher education? Politicians? They all are different voices. They're all battling, competing with each other, trying to have the last word say, no, the, the real human problem is education. No, it's, it's health care. No, it's political freedom. No, it's financial freedom. No, and it's like, oh my goodness, no, it's looking hot. As though that's going to bring lasting joy. And yet look at Hollywood. All these voices in our world, and we hear them, we're bombarded every single day, all competing to have the decisive, authoritative, last 
word on why we're here and how to actually find purpose and real happiness. And what we see here in the inspired word of God, it says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So through Jesus, God has decisively and authoritatively spoken the last word. There's no more discussion. He is our purpose. He is happiness. He defines morality. He is the answer to all of the human problems. Every single last problem with you and me at its root is idolatry. Jesus is the answer. There's no more discussion. God has spoken definitively, authoritatively, and he says, no more it's all about my son. Human history's purpose, your life, is about his son. Jesus is the fullest and complete revelation of God. And he is the greatest treasure. And verse 3 continues, describing the glories of Jesus He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mentioned deep waters. We're in them here now, okay? I was talking to my wife, Bonnie, about this yesterday. And I I do my best, and I don't always succeed, but I try to simplify things so that you can understand some somewhat deep things in a way that's understandable and manageable, but there are some times that the finite mind trying to understand the infinite, it just falls short. And we have to acknowledge that there are some hard things in the Bible that are beyond us, and I'm okay with that. Because I'd rather have a God that my human mind can't fully comprehend then a little God, I can hold in my hand and examine, put in my pocket and be done with. He is grand. And here it's describing the mysteries of the Trinity in verse 3. There's great mystery here, but we do see that there is Father and Son and Spirit, three distinct personalities, yet one divine essence, one God, one Godhead, One trinity within three persons. And what you see here is that Jesus is called the exact representation of the Father. So Jesus shares in the same divine godness, the same divine essence of God, the Father. This is saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is not just a good man or a good teacher or a religious leader who instituted a religion. No, Jesus is divine. He is God. And so when you see the face of Jesus, you are seeing the radiating glory of God. So if you want to see God, if you're wondering what is God like, Look to Jesus. When you see the face of Jesus, you see the face of God. 
God in the flesh. So we look to Jesus who upholds the universe. And so if you think about this, all of the galaxies in the universe, all the planets that are in motion, our very planet that as we speak is rotating on its axis as it revolves around the sun, It is amazing to think that all of that is happening because Jesus himself is upholding that through the power of his word. He is holding it all together. And even when your life feels like it is just tearing at the seams, he's holding it together. If he's powerful enough to create the universe and uphold it, then he can take care of my problems and yours. If we'll yield to him, if we'll trust him, he is God in the flesh, the fullest, most complete revelation of God. We value Jesus also, according to verse 2, we value Jesus because he is the creator and the ruler of all things. He's the creator and the ruler of all things. Verse 2 says, Jesus is the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So heir refers to having ruling authority. He is the heir. He owns the property. And this property is the universe that he himself, Jesus, created. So he is heir over all that he created, which is everything that is not God. Because everything that exists today that is not the Trinity had a starting point. And so Jesus is the heir over all the universe. He's one with the Father and with the Spirit. And he is ruling over everything that he created. And so think about having supreme authority. Jesus has authority over every single molecule that is in existence right now in this Room, And so every little atom that is vibrating, Jesus has authority over it and holds it together. Every single part of this universe, every star and planet, and even every living creature, beginning with you and me, is under the authority of the king who made it. And so we worship Jesus because he is Worthy as a creator and the ruler over all things. We value Jesus also because he is our only hope. We value him because outside of him there is no hope. Verses 3 and 4. Second half of verse 3. We just read the first half a little while ago. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It says purification, that Jesus sat down after making purification for our sins. Purification refers to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so Jesus is the sacrifice. So the Old Testament, the priests offered a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. But we see here that that was not possible because an animal could not take away our sin. All of those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice. He endured God's wrath while on the cross. The fact that he is a sacrifice points to the fact that he is human. He needed to be human to represent you and me on the cross. So he is fully God and fully human. Two natures in the big theology words is a hypostatic union. You're like, what does that mean? It just means it refers to personal, a personal union. So two natures, fully God, fully man, in a union, in one person, the person of Jesus Christ. And he had to be fully God because he had to be perfect. And he had to be fully human to represent you and me on the cross so that we can relate to him and understand and that he could represent us as the sacrifice, fully human, fully God. And he died on the cross for you and me. So he is the sacrifice, but he's also the great high priest. He's both the sacrifice and the priest. He ascended into the heavenly temple, which the earthly temple simply points to the one that's in heaven, the real one. And Jesus ascended to the heavenly temple and went into the heavenly holy of holies with and smeared his own blood on the mercy seat so that the people of God could be forgiven once and for all. This is Jesus. This is who we worship. We have no hope for forgiveness aside of the work of Jesus. You know, these verses that we just read that we're we're going through here fairly quickly say so much. And so I'll just give you a summary here of what we just read of who Jesus is and why we value him. It says that he's the son of God. It says that he is a revelation of God. He's a fulfillment of the Old Testament, the heir of all things, the creator, the radiance of God's glory, the expression of God's nature, sustainer of all creation, purifier of God's people, and mediator for God's people. This is Jesus. This is who we worship. This is who we value. This is why we exist. We exist by Jesus and for him. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We exist for his pleasure. And when we fulfill our purpose for existing, what it results in is joy. Fulfillment of our very purpose. A lot more could be said, but let's continue. Why do we value the gospel? So we've talked briefly why we value Jesus. Why do we value the gospel? Well, the gospel is God's message. So the word gospel means good news. And so the word gospel means the message of good news. Well, the good news of what? The good news that Jesus came to live, die, and be resurrected for the forgiveness of sin. So the gospel renews us 
and it redeems sinners like you and me, and it brings us under God's gracious and loving rule, under his authority that we just read about. So the gospel is Jesus coming and living and dying and resurrecting so that we could be changed, so that we could have new hearts that yearn for him and love him and want to be under his authority. And one day it's going to culminate with the renewal of all things, which is why our church has the name Renewal because we have a taste of that right here and right now. So Renewal Church is an outpost of heaven. That's what we are. All those realities in heaven that we're going to have one day of being in God's presence, right now we can be in God's presence. We have his spirit. One day we're going to worship God forever. We worship God here right now. In heaven, we're, we're going to live in community. Well, we can do that right here, right now. In heaven, we're going to live with holiness and integrity and purity. Well, you know what? We, we can pursue that right here, right now in community. Yeah. And it's a gospel that creates this, this community of God's people and that renews us and gives us the power to live for Christ and to have a little taste of heaven right here on earth. Let me give you four words about the gospel. So if you want to remember the gospel very clearly, not just for your soul, but to share it with others, there's four words to summarize the gospel. The first word is God. Good place to start, right? God. What is he? Well, God is holy and gracious creator. That's who God is if you want a very brief summary. He is holy and he is gracious. He's a creator. And so we talk about that God is holy. God is not holy because he keeps the law. Understand this. Don't think that God has earned holiness or achieved it. It's not as though God is holy because he keeps the law. No, the law is holy because it describes the character of God. And so the law in itself, the law of God is holy only because it reflects who God is. And so the absolute standard for what is right and what is wrong is God himself. His character is the standard. And today in an age where there is so much moral ambiguity and confusion, we have to understand that well, what is right or wrong, what is moral, God. He is the standard of right and wrong, of morality. So he is Holy, and we were made to reflect his image as image bearers, made in his image. We're designed to reflect that, reflect his character, and be holy because God is holy. And yet, we know that we fall short. We have a God who is holy, but also a God who is gracious. And he's moved to bless us and show compassion and mercy, and forgiveness, and he is good. And he made us to enjoy fellowship, a relationship, communion with him. We exist for a relationship with God. This is our purpose and where joy flows from being in God's presence. So that's who God is. So the first word for the gospel is God. Second word is man. So God and then man. Who are we? 
Well, man is hopelessly lost in sin. Yes, we're made in God's image, but we have betrayed God. We have broken his laws. We have not reflected his character, not fulfilled our purpose, not valued him as the greatest treasure. We have turned to idols instead. We go our own way. And so humanity is lost. And we, we can think of sin as a small mistake or just, just, it was just an innocent mistake. But sin is more than that. Sin is much deeper. Sin is a power and it moves in the world. And sin is a power that moves in our hearts and in our will and twists us and corrupts us. And it offends a holy God. And we're all infected. Every one of us has this sin virus. And there is no antidote other than the grace of God with Jesus himself dying for us. And so who are we? Well, we are blind to truth and we are convicted in the eternal and cosmic court. And so the gospel in four words, God gracious and holy creator, man made in God's image, but corrupted by sin. God, man, Jesus. Third word is Jesus. God the Son became a human, and he reached down from heaven and humbled himself. Let's read about that. Turn the page in Hebrews 1. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to pick it up in verse Nine, talking about Jesus and his gospel. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angel, so he was humbled, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Humble himself, glory and honor is displayed through the grace of God with Jesus tasting death for us. You want to know the essence of sin? I'll give you a brief phrase. The essence of sin is man substitutes himself for God. So us putting ourselves in, up against God, rebelling against God, and putting ourselves where only God deserves to be. And so sin is man substituting himself for God. You know, the essence of salvation, it's the opposite. God substitutes himself for man. God substituting himself for you and me. Sacrificing himself. And Jesus put himself where only man deserves to be. This is the essence of what salvation is. And if it were possible to be saved other than the cross, then why would the Father send the Son to die on the cross? There was no other way. And verse 10 describes why God did it. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, again, Jesus, this is so important, all things exist by him and for him in making many 
and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hear this. Why did Jesus come? Bringing many sons to glory. That's why Jesus came. To bring many sons to glory. Jesus has begun a new humanity. People that have been made new through his spirit that no longer have hearts that are bored by Jesus, no longer have hearts that are against him, but hearts that hunger for him, his word, his presence, his righteousness, hearts that want to obey, not that have to, but that want to. This is the power of the gospel accomplished through Jesus on the cross. And this is miraculous. We cannot accomplish this on our own. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is a complete transformation where you're spiritually dead and now you've been brought to glory. And Jesus is the founder of our salvation. It says made perfect through suffering. That made perfect refers to completion. So Jesus wasn't made perfect. He already has always been perfect. But this is describing that our salvation was come to its appointed end, completed. So perfection can mean completion. And that's what this is referring to, that Jesus completed our salvation on the cross to bring us to glory. And verse 11 describes what that does in our lives. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So there's one source of us being made holy. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Did you catch that? Do you ever look in the mirror and just think, oh, man. Man, I blew it again. Do you ever just feel like, man, you're just, you're just not where you want to be? And you find yourself frustrated or disappointed or ashamed. And it says here in God's word that Jesus tasted suffering so that you could be brought to glory. And it says that he's sanctifying you. He's making you holy. You're not going to reach it until you get to heaven but you will have more of a holy direction on this side of heaven. And it says that he is not ashamed of you. Did you hear that? He's not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. On the authority of God's word, this is not my words, it's God's. You have to know this. God is not ashamed I don't care what you've done or what's been done to you or how disappointing life has been or how painful it's been. This should be life being breathed into your soul by the Spirit of God telling you that he's not ashamed. You know what the gospel does? The gospel allows us to know just how, like, I don't know, messed up we are. It does. And yet it also says, God loves you. It exposes us for being sinners, and then it reveals God's purpose and plan 
for us to be made new and forgiven. The gospel in four words, God, man, Jesus, response. The response must be faith and repentance. We see it here in verses 12 through 13, this response of trust saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given to me. You hear that? God has given you to Jesus. You know what you are? You're a gift that the Father has given to the Son. That's what you are, a love gift, saying, I made this person, and Jesus, you will go redeem him or her, and then they will belong to you, for you to enjoy and to love and for them to enjoy you for eternity. And just as it says here that Jesus was trusting God while suffering on the cross, Jesus entrusting himself to the Father crying out and praying, not my will, but yours. And so that is our call, is to trust him, to trust God the way Jesus did. And so the response must be complete trust in Jesus alone. We value the gospel because the gospel leads us to God himself. We value Jesus because he is God himself. We value the gospel because it brings us to God. Now, when I observe the typical Central Texas religion, this is not what I see. When I look at the Bible Belt, what I see is people have made up a new religion. This new religion says that, yes, there is a God and he exists, and yes, he created the world, and God is watching over the world, but you don't really need God unless you have a problem and then you should pray and you don't really need church except maybe Christmas and Easter or on occasion because quite honestly that's just your civic duty as a Texan I'm Republican I go to church like I'm a Christian these are all analogous they're all they're all equal and we have this civic cultural Christianity where we go to Hobby Lobby and verses and put it on our walls and we have Christian decor and we have a Bible that has a cross on it and everyone wears their cross on their neck and yet you just wonder, do they actually know Jesus? Have they actually repented of their sins and are trusting in Jesus as their greatest treasure or is it just cultural Christianity? And I, I don't know, I look around and I see far more cultural Christianity it makes me want to throw up. It makes my stomach turn when I see it because that is not why Jesus died and it's not what he produces. Let me give you two thoughts. I know our time is running out, but two, two thoughts on how Jesus and his gospel actually impacts your life, my life today. Because what he accomplishes is supernatural so let's just take five minutes or less and, and really focus on applying this. One implication is you can praise God in your pain. Because of Jesus and his gospel, you can right now, today, 
Praise God in your pain. Jesus knows pain. Physical pain, he tasted it on the cross. Emotional pain, his best friends abandoned him. People who promised to love him betrayed him. Left alone and neglected. Talk about emotional abuse. Like, I mean, Jesus tasted it. Spiritual pain on the cross. He was experiencing none of God's love, only Jesus experienced 100% only of God's wrath and anger and judgment with 0% of God's mercy and grace on the cross. And so he was forsaken by the love of God, but Jesus experienced God's full fury and anger because of my sin and yours. Jesus tasted it on the cross. And that's what hell is. Hell is in God's presence forever, but hell is in the presence of a holy God without any of his mercy or love or compassion. Hell is a horrible place. And on the cross, in a few moments, Jesus experienced it. He tasted it for you and for me. He knows spiritual pain. So any pain that you're tasting, Jesus experienced it a millionfold. He knows pain, and he cares. He loves you. That's why he died for you. He knows intimately your pain. That's why he came, to conquer sin and death. And what awaits you is glory, to bring many sons to glory. And what awaits you in heaven is no pain, no suffering. No disappointment. And so we can walk in that hope right now, knowing that he's using the pain to refine us. I know we want the relief. I get it. I'm not that different. We want relief, but we we need Moses' refinement. And he does that. He loves us through it. You have hope. His name is Jesus. You can praise God in the pain. Last thought on how this should impact your life because of the gospel, because of Jesus, you can find freedom. You can find freedom. If you're here and you think, oh, I'm just fine, or I'm a good person, then I think maybe you don't know the gospel. Maybe you don't really value Jesus and what he did on the cross all that much because if you really have your heart gripped with Jesus and his gospel, then you would not say, I'm a good person. I'm fine. No, you're not. If you were, he wouldn't have to die on the cross. He didn't die for people that are just fine. He died for rebels like you and me. That's why he came. Because we're not good enough. We're not worthy All have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. The gospel, here's what the gospel does. Gospel shows us how evil we actually are. And we look up to heaven and we cry out and we say, God, I'm guilty. I have sinned against you. 
And then God looks down and picks you up and lovingly says, I know. I love you. I have made a provision. I sent Jesus. And if we trust him with all of our hearts, we recognize our guilt. We recognize his love. And that leads to transformation. So I don't know where you're at today, but you can praise God in your pain and you can find freedom from what's enslaving you because you recognize that you don't have the power and God's given you a new heart and you can walk in that freedom that his spirit offers you. When you worship him, then the temptations won't have such a grip and a hold on your soul. The gospel sets us free. We're new. We're not enslaved to our sin anymore. We don't have to say yes to temptations. We have the power of God in us to say no and to walk in freedom. We value Jesus and we value the gospel. Are you a prodigal son today that's kind of wandering and needs to come home? Are you a son or a daughter of the king that you know you've kind of wandered off? God loves you. Will you come home today? The gospel calls us home to life that is truly life here and now.